Word had already started to get out about Mel Gibson making a Jesus film when rumours started to emerge about another Jesus film from the Visual Bible group. Like Visual Bible's previous efforts, the Gospel of John was to be a word-for-word adaptation of an entire book of the Bible. Visual Bible's first production of Matthew had found a niche market amongst evangelical Christians and proved popular enough to ensure a sequel, Acts, was made. The news prompted a great deal of speculation. How would the passion affect John's potential market? Would it benefit from the publicity surrounding that film? Or would people wait to see the film by the Oscar-winning megastar instead? A further question was would Bruce Marciano reprise the role of Jesus or would Visual Bible opt for a different Jesus for a very different gospel? Perhaps because there were several years between the making of Matthew and John, producer Garth Drabinsky and director Philip Saville decided to pick a new man for the role, Henry Ian Cusick. Cusick is half Scottish and half Peruvian, giving him a distinctive face, and whilst not exactly Jewish or Middle Eastern, he was certainly a good distance away from looking Anglo-Saxon. In contrast to the synoptic Gospels, John's version of events is very wordy, so to an even greater degree than most Jesus films, a lot was resting on Cusick's performance. Thankfully, he proved more than capable of carrying the part, and gave a compelling, convincing and challenging portrayal of John's hero. As the variety critic who reviewed the film noted, Cusick was not physically dominant, but expresses an energy, eloquence and force of personality that captivate and thoroughly convince in creating a figure others willingly follow. Cusick's Jesus is restless, driven, borderline arrogant, conscious of his limited time and self-aware like no one else on earth before or since. The other important role in the film was one that would not appear on the screen that of the author of the Gospel, who here acts as narrator. This role went to the experienced Christopher Plummer, who, having been trapped for so long by his role in The Sound of Music, has gained a new lease of life in the last few years, turning in some of the best performances of his career. Plummer's rich, mellow voice complements Cusick's more lively performance, giving the film extra gravity. Also worthy of note is Stuart Bunce's portrayal of The Other Disciple, who is cleverly filmed in a way that links him with the book's author, without a direct correlation needing to be made. Other performances are less impressive, which does detract from the film as a whole. Sadly, the film was not a terrific success, leaving Visual Bible International with serious financial problems. The film was initially released on DVD in a three-disc format that proved expensive, but later marketing efforts proved more creative. For example, a more recent release of the film made significant cuts to the original three-hour film, bringing it down to a little over two hours. Liberated from its original word-for-word remit, it also removes some of the narration from some of the remaining scenes, allowing the images to speak for themselves from time to time. Unfortunately, it seems like a bit of a rush job. In some places, the removal of the narration seems to leave something of a gap. In other places, it remains uncut, but seems overbearing. Likewise, the discourse in John 13-18 to is where the most significant cuts are made, and the footage is re-edited with footage of Judas teaming up with the guards. Initially, it gives the scene a far greater sense of tension, but then it reaches Jesus' uncut prayer for his disciples, and the tension evaporates, and the rhythm that had been built up so well is lost. However, it's clearly the full three-hour cut which should be considered the definitive version, 
as it's only when it's uncut that the idea of producing a word-for-word retelling has real value. Incidentally, the fact that this film adapts John's Gospel word-for-word does not mean that it's without interpretation. It would certainly be a mistake to equate the two, as every visualisation of a written text involves a huge amount of interpretation. Aside from the more obvious considerations, such as what Jesus looked like, what was the expression on his face at any given time, how many people were listening to him at a certain point, and so on, there are also places where the interpretation is far more creative, such as Mary Magdalene's presence at the Last Supper. There are even places where the visuals curiously contradict the text, such as Jesus wearing a red robe in the lead-up to his crucifixion, rather than the purple one, as the text translates. Or the moment where, from in John 18, where the text says that the soldiers who came to arrest him fall down when he says, I am he, but then they don't. Perhaps the strangest example here is when the Good News Bible's translation says certain lines are spoken by the Jewish authorities, but it's actually normal-looking Jewish people who speak them. The use of the phrase, the Jewish authorities, as opposed to simply the Jews, was used as a selling point for the film. It was meant to be a sign of how the filmmakers were counteracting anti-Semitism at the very point at which Gibson's film was drawing such heat for the same issue. It's strange then that, on occasion, the filmmakers undermine the process with their visuals. Other creative decisions are more successful. In particular, the trial and death of Jesus is handled in a very anti-iconic manner. While most Jesus films show him being beaten, mocked and pushed to his limits, he nearly always maintains a sense of nobility and dignity. Here he looks uncoordinated as he stumbles down the steps in front of Pilate's seat of judgment, and the filmmakers repeatedly opt for imagery that breaks with the traditions of Western art. Jesus goes up to Golgotha with a cross slung over his shoulder. It's evidently been used several times, and the route to his crucifixion is not lined with crowds of onlookers, as we've come to expect. When we see him on the cross, his, nail, his legs are nailed into it on either side of the upright, which again looks awkward and undignified, yet accords with a relatively recent, yet significant, archaeological finding. In other words, it cuts through the beauty of the image as it has often been presented, even if it has been simultaneously terrifying, as in The Passion of the Christ. This gives the viewers an angle they may never have considered. In fact, it's surprising the things that this film brings to the viewer's attention. John's Gospel is so different from the synoptics that parts of it often get forgotten. This film brings them back into the picture. For example, I remember being struck in my first viewing of the film by the scenes where Jesus is visited by some Greeks. Another example is the passage where God speaks to Jesus from heaven, but some of those who observe it put it down to thunder. John is a strange film to watch. Its lengthy discourses and long running time mean it's not particularly an easy film to observe. Indeed, as the series title suggests, it actually works best as a visual bible to illustrate the text, rather than a film to sit and watch in one go. That said, it's certainly a very interesting interpretation of that text, which will certainly illuminate the original for those who take time to watch it and pay attention. Thanks for listening. There'll be another Jesus Films podcast later in the month.